Well, I welcome you again. It's uh, good to be together and just to take some time to look into the Word of God. And today in Psalm 36, we're going to, uh, we've moved from the depravity of man and then talking about God. Now we're going to get into something that um, I'm going to confess my hypocrisy. Um, I've heard all of my life a preacher shouldn't preach on something that he's not living. And uh, the truth of the matter is, you haven't found a preacher yet that lives everything that he preaches because it's not true because I live it. I should live it because it's true. And that's the same for you. Uh, if you're going to wait until I get everything straight, boy, you're in trouble. And so uh, there are different things that we do and some things we do well or should we say better because none of us are perfect. And then some things are a real struggle for us. And we might find that they are a little bit different depending on our personality, our makeup, our background, uh, things that we've been through. Uh, we all kind of struggle in, in different ways. And so we should pray for one another and help one another along. But we should always be ready to respond to truth, not because we see it well lived in someone else. I mean, that would be a desirable goal, of course. That's what we ought to strive for. But even if we see someone who is not really living it well, and yet they are telling the truth, uh, that's something that we ought to camp on. What is that? The truth. Not the performance so much, but the truth. Now again, let, let me just be really clear. We're not talking about making excuses for hypocrisy or anything like that. It's just understanding that, well, you know, the Bible tells us we all stumble in many ways. And there's a lot of things that we come across in the Word of God that we struggle with. And sometimes we stumble in our application of it. And so we help one another and we pray for one another. And then we center in on God and His truth. Okay? If Adolf Hitler read John 3.16, John 3.16 would still be true even though it was read by a murderous, tyrannical madman, right? If Osama bin Laden read John 3.16, somebody could actually get saved because the power is not in the messenger, but it's in the message. At the same time, we don't make excuses. The Bible warns us in the book of James. This is a warning for me and all of you who are teachers. The Bible says that we uh, incur a stricter judgment. It's not that we are at a higher level of accountability. It's just that we're evaluated differently because we have the audacity to stand up in front of other people and tell them what they ought to do. That's a precarious situation to be in. So here's, uh, I say all of that uh, to get to this one thing. The Westminster Catechism. You remember what it says at the very beginning. A catechism is questions and answers. Okay? What is the chief end of man? Okay? And the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God. Okay? That's hard enough. And you and I don't do that nearly to the extent that we ought to, do we? We're being sanctified. It's a process. Uh, but that one's easy for me to kind of wrap my arms around and, and, and say, yeah, I'm going to do that. This next part of that answer just eats my lunch. Uh, 
to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So I want to ask a question. I'm not going to ask you, are you glorifying God? I'm going to assume that that's at the core of who you are and that uh, even though you fall short of the glory of God, as we all do, that's still what you want to do. But how much, how much emphasis have you put on enjoying God and how in the world do you do that? You know, so many times we serve God and glorify God, honor God, whatever you want to say. But we do it because of what other people think. I don't want to stumble someone else. I don't want them to think less of me. I don't want them to think less of my God. There are sometimes we do it out of fear. I'm afraid of the consequences. I'm afraid of the discipline that might come my way. A lot of things like that. Okay? And we could probably go on and on and on. I won't. But we could go on and on and on, couldn't we? Now, let me ask you a question. How much of what you do, do you do, or how much of what you don't do is because of your enjoyment of God? You know, uh, I always love going to college football games. And I'm sure a lot of you do too. We watch them on TV. But attending them live, there's just nothing like it. Going to bowl games, those kind of things, just a lot of fun. But they always require choices. I mean, it's expensive buying season tickets. It's expensive. The uh, gas money, the, you have to pay for parking. The food in the stadiums is uh, very expensive. And not to mention that, but the time, the time commitment for it. Everything that you do for that enjoyment of the game, it costs you in something else. But if you really enjoy the game, nobody in that stadium, whether it's in Norman or Stillwater or wherever it might be, nobody sitting in there is watching the game and going, good night, do you know how much this is costing me per play? Do you realize what I am spending here and how much time I am giving up and what I could be doing. You don't do that or you wouldn't be there. You're enjoying the game. You get lost in it. Now, some games are better than others, of course. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have a happy celebratory ending, you know, tearing down the goalpost and that kind of stuff, carrying the coach off, on, off the field on, you know, the player's shoulders and uh, fans, you don't even know, high-fiving one another and, you know, laughing and all of that kind of stuff that goes on and the cheers and yelling. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes you walk away pretty somber. But nonetheless, you go back because you enjoy the game. And I'm going to say that if you ever get to the point to where you are not only glorifying God by what you do, by what you don't do, by what you think, all of that. But you actually are doing it because you enjoy God. You're not going to weigh the cost and benefits out. See, I've heard some people say, in fact, I had somebody say to me one time, uh, Preacher, you realize that if I didn't give my tithe, I could have a boat. You know? And I told him, go buy your boat. Don't give grudgingly or of necessity, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And one of the things that we found is that people who give cheerfully and give out of joy, they are well aware of what it is costing them. 
you know, uh, if, if they figured it all up, they know what they're giving. They're not stupid. But at the same time, they find so much enjoyment in generosity and in worshiping God through their giving that it's not even a consideration for them. They enjoy it. They enjoy it. And I wonder how much of our Christian life, how much would change and how greatly would our impact change if we didn't just simply knuckle down and say, I'm going to glorify God even if it kills me kind of thing. But what if the joy of the Lord and our enjoyment of God was so motivating that it was driving us to the point that our joy was so full, we didn't even really think about all of the other stuff. Now, of course, we've counted the cost and willingly moved on that direction. But when you find joy, when you find joy in it, you don't think about what you're giving up. So what would that do in your life, in my life, in our attitude? What would that do in our witness? What would that do in the way other people perceived what we are are doing and perceived our worship and our walk with God. And David, this man after God's own heart, he seems to have it down. In Psalm 36, going down to verse 7 where we are, it says, How precious, get that word, precious, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, or because of this, because of your loving kindness, the children of men, humans like us, Put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Boy, that's picturesque, isn't it? Verse 8. They are abundantly satisfied. I'm going to make an assumption. Being satisfied is when you've got everything you want, everything you need. You're just content. Abundantly satisfied must be even better than that, right? They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of of your house. God's cupboard, God's pantry is never bare, is it? Right? Don't have to economize. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. Verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. And this is an interesting phrase, the last thing. And in your light we see light. In your light, we see light. So, glorifying God, yes, absolutely. Glorifying Him no matter what. Glorifying Him in good times, in bad times, in battles, in temptations, in trials, in betrayals. Absolutely, absolutely. But to get to the next part of that catechism and enjoy him forever. We're just going to wait till we get to heaven to do that? Well, I guarantee you, in heaven, you and I will do that. That'll be no problem. But I have a, a sneaking suspicion that the Puritans, when they wrote that, they're writing that based on truths from the Word of God for now in this life, in our witness for Christ, in passing our faith on to our children uh, enjoying God and enjoying Him here and enjoying Him forever in heaven. David uh, gives us some clues here. What uh, is the first thing that he says? We enjoy God, number one, when you value His steadfast love. You enjoy God when you value His steadfast love. 
That's when he said in verse 7, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Steadfast love is the way the ESV translates it. Uh, the NIV says unfailing love. Unfailing love. Someone said you can never make God love you anymore and you also can never make him love you any less. He just loves you as his child with a steady and an unfailing of love, an unchanging maximum love. Now, I saw a t-shirt one time. It really was a little bit funny, yet it's kind of thought-provoking. It said on the front, big letters, Jesus loves you. Nice message, right? Then on the back it said, but then again, he loves everybody. And I think that that's the way a lot of Christians think. Whenever we say that God loves us, God loves his children, we're going, well, yeah. Isn't, isn't that true for all of us? What's special about that? And David would pull us up short and say, how dare you ever, number one, question the love of God, but secondly, and maybe even worse, how dare you ever devalue the love of God as it is just no big deal. It's just common as dirt, common as dust, common as breathing, you know? I've never really had breathing problems, so I don't know what it is to struggle to breathe. And I don't really know what it is to not be able to get a breath, but I guarantee you somebody who does, whenever they have that time when they do get the air, the oxygen they need, boy, they appreciate it. But most of us don't give breathing a second thought. Yeah, no big deal. We don't really think about normal functions. You know, how's your liver? How's your spleen? We don't think about those kind of things until there is a problem. I think we do that with the love of God sometimes. Well, Jesus loves me. Yeah, I know. I'll sing about it, and it's a nice thought. But then again, it's no big deal because he loves everybody. And David said, it is precious, precious. You know, when you think about in the history of our nation, whenever they would say there's gold in them, there are hills, right? What did everybody do? Or a lot of people anyway. They pulled up stakes and headed to where the gold fields were. And they would pay any price and they would dig and they would pan for gold and they would make uh, big mines to find it. It didn't matter what the cost was because the gold was precious. Millionaires could be made in a day when they found gold or struck oil or whatever you want to uh, think about. And we don't think about the love of God as being precious like that. And that's one of the reasons we don't really enjoy him because we have devalued him because God is love. And to devalue his love means that we devalue him. So you're going to enjoy God whenever you actually do value the Lord, David says. Number two, you enjoy God, listen to this, when you run to him first. You know, everybody, every believer runs to God eventually. But sometimes, there are some of you, it takes a long time. You've got to exhaust A, B, C, D, E, and you've got to go through person and counselor and all of these kind of things, and then you finally turn to God. It's like the old joke about the preacher who comes into his church office and he says to his secretary, well, Miss Jones, there's nothing left to do but pray. And she says, oh, no, has it come to that? And that's kind of the way we are so many times. God is the last place. Well, on one hand, he should be the last place, right? 
That's like when you're looking for something and uh, someone says, what are you looking for? Oh, I misplaced my keys. And they say, you know, trying to be funny, well, it'll be the last place that you look and I always think, well, I hope so. I hope I don't keep on looking after, that I, after I've found them. And so many times God is the last place we look. Well, he should be the last place because you really shouldn't go any further than that. But let me also say this. He should be the first place that you look, the first place that you run. Where do I get that out of these verses? Notice the imagery that he uses here of a bird and wings. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. You ever been around chickens? You ever been around any kind of a bird and you see the little chicks? And what happens whenever they feel the least bit threatened? What do they do? They run to mama. They run and they get under her wings. They may peek out underneath them and watch, but they feel safe under the shadow, under the protection of her wings. And you know, so many times we run and we're curious. Danger comes and we go look at it. We go play around with it and we get trapped. We sometimes will run to shelter in a whole lot of different places that make us more vulnerable instead of just running to God. We want to try to handle it ourselves. We want to show how smart we are and uh, we want to try some things and we've got to be independent. We think that that's a good thing with God. It's not. We're supposed to be dependent upon him. And those who trust the Lord, they run to the Lord like a chick runs to a mama bird. They run to her instinctively and that's the first place. A little chick would never think of running anywhere else. They don't see any other option. Where's mama? That's where they go. And that's where they go first. Wouldn't it be amazing if whenever the enemy began to attack, whenever life began to deal with us with cruel blows, that the first thing we did was instinctively to run to our God and to be sheltered under his wings. Well, because we don't do that, we don't really enjoy God because we have devalued him and his love and we are running everywhere else but to him for our protection, for safety, for shelter, for love and comfort and encouragement. And so we don't really enjoy him because by the time we get to him, we're so worn out and uh, we've tried everything else and uh, we don't really get the benefit of being covered by him and by his wings. See how much sense that makes? Number three, David says, we enjoy God when we seek his blessings. Now, we all want the blessings of God, and we pray about the blessings of God. You pray about it over every meal, bless his food to the nourishment of our bodies and uh, all of that type of thing. But David seems to have a little bit more in mind than just this casual little thing. And I'm going to say, we don't enjoy God because I think we seek the blessing of everybody but God. Now, we don't do that with our mouths, of course, but with our actions. We're more concerned about what people think. We're more concerned about how we come across to other people instead of, am I really in a position to be blessed by God? It says in uh, verse 8, they are abundantly satisfied, and they're satisfied with the fullness of his house, the king's house. 
In other words, it's as though the king just opens up the doors and says, make yourself at home. Take whatever you need. Get whatever you want. And don't be skimpy when you do it. You know, most of the time when people say, make yourselves at home, they don't really mean it, do they? I mean, you know, you can cross a line there, and if they catch you and say, what are you doing? You know, you could say, well, you told me to make myself at home. This is what I would do at my home. Well, good manners kind of dictates that we don't actually do that to the full, full degree, do we? Except when you're in God's house, that's exactly what he says. He says, make sure you've got anything you need, and it's in abundance because I'm never going to run out. There's no need to economize. There's no need to save anything for anybody else. There's no need to just you know, take half of what you want, go ahead and gorge yourself on this because you are coming to be abundantly satisfied out of the fullness of his house. You get to go into his pantry and get anything you want, in other words. And you give them to drink from the river of your pleasures. The Hebrew word for pleasure there, you know what it is? It's the word for Eden. It's the word we get paradise from. And, and the river of God is a delightful river and you can drink all you want and it's never muddy, it's never cloudy, it's never polluted. There's never anything like that uh, that would mess it up and there's not anything better than what you're going to get out of the river of God. This is the idea of being satisfied. This is the idea of being strengthened by what is in the king's house. This is the idea of being enriched by the king's house. You know what that means? There's some food you eat because you're hungry or because you need to be strengthened or because it's healthy or something. And then there's some food that you eat just because it's good and you just enjoy it. Now, don't go crazy with it, but it's good to enjoy what you eat. And the king's food, what's at the king's table, it enriches you. It's just good and you eat it just because it's good. And it's also plentiful, David says. You're never going to run out. God's never going to be in short supply. You know, there's nothing worse than to get ready to make something and maybe you want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You like those? I still do. And you uh, think, ah, that'd be good. And so you go to make one and then you find out there's no peanut butter or there's no jelly or there's no bread or whatever it might be. It's disappointing. That never happens. And David said we can enjoy God in this situation because we are seeking his blessings not the blessings of the world that are cheap that run out that are disappointing that leave us wanting more or sometimes actually can harm us this is different the blessing of the lord well this makes sense doesn't it and then number four we enjoy god when we genuinely love the giver above the gifts I mean, we got to get to that point. You knew that was coming, didn't you? Because as you think about all of these things that David describes, he ends up, and the, the first three words of verse 9 give us the clue, for with you. Now that's the point, with you, with you. It's not just about what you've got in your pantry, O oh Lord. It's you that I love. For in you is a fountain of life just goes on and on and on and it springs forth and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And he says that in your light, we see light. You know, the two concepts here of life and light makes me think of Christmas. Light and life to all he brings. 
Remember that in the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Uh, those are the two important things, light and life. And when we think about this, we're talking about joy. We're talking about direction. Sometimes you see light. Hey, let's head that, that way. That looks good. That looks like there are people over there. That looks safe over there. And then sometimes you head toward the light because it just looks fun. Uh, it's something that uh, I've done since I was a little kid, and that is look at fireworks. I love the fireworks on the 4th of July, Independence Day, or New Year's, or whatever they're, they're fired off. I like a good firework display. You know, I also like Christmas lights. Isn't it neat that when you're driving along and it's that season of the year, it'll be here in just a few weeks, and you notice, hey, that neighborhood's all lit up, or the entrance to that neighborhood is lit up, or look at that building over there, or sometimes you might see those searchlights that are going, and you look, hey, I wonder what's over there. Let's go check that out. There's something about it. And when the Bible talks here about life and light, we're talking about the joy of living, and we're talking about the light that comes. Sometimes light is just to get you from point A to point B, holding a lantern or a flashlight in, in the dark. Well, that's a good thing. But sometimes light is just for fun. Sometimes it is for decoration. Sometimes it is just to make you kind of be in awe and to laugh a little bit, to smile, and just to enjoy things. And David is talking about here, this is God. This is our Father. And so um, I was reading this morning in the book of Revelation, and I read a passage in chapter 7, and it sounded familiar. Uh, I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence." And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Boy, that'll be a great thing to experience. Except Again, from what David says, I think we can experience at least some of that and maybe more of that even now in life as we enjoy the Lord forever. The Bible says we are to rejoice in the Lord always. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord in Psalm 37, 4. Be glad in the Lord, Psalm 32, 11. In your presence there is Fullness of joy, according to Psalm 16, 11. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, in Psalm 16, 5. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, Psalm 42, 1 and 2. It says, I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land in Psalm 43, 6. And we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received 
reconciliation in Romans chapter 5, 11. Notice on all of that, it doesn't sound like drudgery. It doesn't sound like just something where we can't find anything better. I mean, some people act like the only reason we really praise and worship and honor God is, well, it's better than hell. Well, we've got to delight ourselves in the Lord and glorify him, yes, but also enjoy him forever. How? Well, here's where we start. Value his love. Think about that. Value his love. Secondly, running to him first. He's our first resource, not our last resort, right? And by seeking his blessing, it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. Now, we're not out to make them think badly of us or to say we don't care about anything. Yeah, we've got a testimony and we're not to stumble them and we're to be an example to them and all of that. But we are to seek his blessing first. It's the Matthew 6, thing, seeking his kingdom first. And then all these things will be added uh, unto you. He is our priority. And then it means loving the giver and enjoying his gifts. You know, sometimes when we say you've got to love the giver more than you love the gifts, that doesn't mean you don't love the gifts. It's just you love God more. When you uh, have little kids in your house and it's Christmas or a birthday and you give them a present, don't you buy the present wanting the little kid to enjoy it? I want them to open it up and I want those squeals of delight. I want those hugs saying thank you so much and I want to see them playing with it. It brings joy to us. But I would never want them to love a bicycle more than they love me. Would you? And think about all that God gives us and how many times we love the stuff more than we love him. But at the same time, he loves to give us what we need and what we desire over and above that so that we can enjoy it because he gets joy out of watching us enjoy what he gives us. But we must love him supremely. Let us love our God supremely and let us love each other too. Let us love and pray for sinners till our God makes all things new. Remember that old hymn? Well, there's a lot of joy that ought to be in the Christian life. And I don't know about you, but as I confessed at the very beginning, I'm not very good at this thing of enjoying God, but I want to, but I want to. And my prayer is that you will want to as well. There is joy in the Lord to be abundantly satisfied in Him. What a glorious thing that is. So thank you, Lord for including this in your word. Thank you, King David. We'll look forward to seeing you face to face one day and talking about what all you wrote. I'm so glad that David wrote these things down. And thank you for being here to be a part of this. And may the Lord bless you as you love him and as you pray for one another and minister to other people in the church as you hear about them having trials or sicknesses. But don't forget to rejoice with them as well because there's a lot of good going on may the lord bless you and thank you so much for your time